Hello, hello, hello. This is the Working Parents Wilderness. Thanks for joining us. Many of us, before we start a job, a career, or start our own business, receive some type of education, whether that's formal education, mentoring, coaching, training, maybe even an apprenticeship. But how many of us receive training on how to be a good family member, a partner, or parent? For most of us, we didn't get any training. The best thing that we could claim is that a family member or friend gave us advice here, a little tip there. Today's guest, Blake Bohasek, product manager at Applicant Pro, has a fun and engaging story about how he brings his skills, knowledge, and abilities from the workplace and makes the most of them with his family and his kids. Blake, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a little bit of a quick introduction mentioning that you're a product manager at Applicant Pro. Tell us a little bit about you and Applicant Pro. What are you doing there? Awesome. Yeah, so I'm a product manager with Applicant Pro. I've been there for about three years. um, And right now I manage all of the third-party integrations, our marketplace, basically leveraging other technologies and integrating them with our own. Okay, cool. Now, was Applicant Pro the first place where you worked and did product management or have you kind of been in the space for a while? Yeah, no. So I actually started with a regional airline uh, called SkyWest Airlines out of St. George, Utah. Um, And I started off really in that business analytics world. Um, So mastering the software that was used uh, at that time to track the maintenance on the fleet or the aircraft of SkyWest Airlines. Um, And I really dug into kind of the problems that we were experiencing and ways that we could be more efficient. And that's what really brought me into business analytics, which then transitioned over to product management. Okay. Outstanding. And the other day you had posted something online and I'm not sure where the, you know, original post was, whether it was LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, but I originally saw it on LinkedIn. And from what I understand that went pretty viral. Can you tell us a little bit about the statistics around how many people saw it? What was the reach of that post? And then give us a little bit of detail on what that was. Yeah, so um, it's actually super funny. Um, statistics are going to be pretty hard because I, I don't even know how many times it's been posted now. Um, it all started with, um, I guess, a little backstory on the video is we, we moved from a desert climate. Um, there wasn't any snow. There was a lot of sand. Um, up to more of a climate that has actual seasons. Um, And so with that, I've got a two-year-old son, his name's Crew. Um, We were waiting for the first snowfall and unfortunately it didn't come until pretty much the the new year. So ironically enough, my my wife actually had our our second little guy, his name's Carter, uh, that was on Christmas Eve of of this last year. And shortly thereafter, we we experienced our first snowfall. And so um, kind of a double-edged sword we we wanted to get out and and train my son on on you know things you can do in the snow but also find a way for him to get out some of that energy you know with the newborn in the house my, my wife recovering and so on when he did to get him out of the house so we went outside we we shoveled the snow he was using his little bulldozer tractor and shoveling the snow in the driveway with me uh we built a little snow fort uh, we had a little snowball fight uh, and then the very last thing we did uh, was a snow angel. Um, and I, ironically, I had no idea my wife was recording. 
um, believe it or not. Uh, she's the one that, that's in the video. She's actually standing in our, our guest bedroom that overlooks the, the front yard. Um, and she was sitting there recording because she, she felt jealous that she couldn't be outside enjoying the, the moment. So she wanted to watch it. And she could see, based off of how the other items that I was trading on were going, that the snow angel would be pretty funny. Um, so what ended up happening was I, I – decided to train him by standing up you know i was just out shoveling i wasn't prepared to get in the snow i wasn't wearing snow gear and so i was like i'll just stand up i'll show him what to do he's wearing snow gear so i can i can lay him down and hopefully he'll pick it up so i showed him you know basically a standing jumping jack if you will laid him down and uh <laughs> my son decided that you know he's going to follow me exactly he moved, waved his hands up towards the sky and not up towards his head um, almost like flapping like a bird, um, which is super, super funny, super cute. He's just a two-year-old. Um, but the other piece that, that was really funny is shortly thereafter, I actually took his hands and manually moved them to the, you know, the direction I wanted them to go. Um, and even after doing that, he still did the snow angel. Uh, we, we, we call it the, the crew angel now, uh, where he flaps his arms like a bird. Um, in terms of uh, statistics, uh, when I first posted, I did post it on LinkedIn just as a kind of a funny thing to share. I think I, I see a lot on LinkedIn about how it's more business than it should be professional. And I even see some comments that say, hey, this comment or this post should be on Facebook or something like that. And, and to me, I, I think that just like this podcast is trying to solve, uh, LinkedIn is that perfect merge of business and personal. And so what I did is I, I took the post, which was extremely cute, endearing, um, something that, that I really valued um, quite high. And I captioned it with something very business and personal to me. And it started off that, that first weekend, I think it was the first, oh gosh, three days. Um, and it had 80,000 views. Um, and what's funny is after the first day, there's actually a comment on there. You have to go check it out um, where I was like, oh my gosh, there's 10,000 views on this. Can you guys help me get to 20,000 views? And little did I know where this would end up going because it wasn't even 24 hours later, it reached 80,000 views. And then all of a sudden that video went to Facebook, went to Instagram, went to uh, Reddit, TikTok. Um, it, it went all the way up to the Today Show. And it was shown all over the world. I've had people in Mexico reach out to me. And right now, based on the posts that I've seen, we believe it's in the range of like 10 to 20 million views. Oh my gosh. And we're talking about just at the first of the year, a really simple and cute. I've seen it a couple of times because I've watched it. The Snow Angel experience, but you're talking about 20 million views. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. We've actually had the ABC show reach out to us. We've had the, the Kelly Clarkson show reach out to us about it. Uh, we've had, obviously, the Today Show featured it. There's a post that's on TikTok, a big TikTok brand. That post alone has 2 million. And so just the posts we've seen, and obviously we can't calculate how much the Today Show has reached. So I'm talking just Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and TikTok. And then my LinkedIn post, my LinkedIn post, believe it or not, has 380,000 views now. So it's, it's blown up way more than I ever thought it would. I love that. I have, uh, as you know, I have four kids myself. So 11, eight, and a couple sets of, not a couple sets, one set of twins and they're five. And I've had experiences like you're describing about snow angels gone wrong or not going exactly like we planned because of our instructions and the way that we're thinking about it versus the way maybe a two or a five or a, an 11 year old might think about it. So tell us a little bit more about the, the caption that you put with this post. Why did you connect or what did you connect in regards to the professional to this personal video that you have? 
Yeah, for sure. So I put uh, this is user experience in a nutshell because it's, it's super funny. The, the reason why I put it is it's been top of mind as a product manager at Applicant Pro. It's been something we've been discussing quite frequently. Uh, the CEO at Applicant Pro's name is Ryan Kohler. He, off, he talks often about understanding that your prospects, your customers, your existing clients, um, you know, whoever it might be, they all have different paths in life. They all have different journeys. Um, and even though we want somebody to take a specific step, step doesn't mean that they're necessarily ready or willing to take that step. And so one aspect of user experience is, is really putting yourself in the perspective of your target audience and making sure that, that you speak to them in that way. And the reason why I put that is because, you know, from my perspective, a snow angel is the easiest thing in the world. You know what I mean? Like, whether I'm standing up, whether I'm, whether I'm sitting down, even like my arms still went above my head. However, to a two-year-old who's never done one, doesn't know what a jumping jack is, could hardly talk. He saw my hands go to the sky. And so when he laid down from his perspective, he did it correct. He, his arms went the same direction my arms went and not the desired direction that I wanted. And so I thought it was super funny and something really relatable um, for a lot of people, because when it comes to like user experience errors and, and, you know, issues that we come across in, in the product world, uh, unfortunately, we typically find those after we deploy something. And then all of a sudden it hits you like, oh gosh, I should have realized that. And so the video was very much that, that same tale. Oh yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed the video. I watched it, as I said, a couple of times. And what I liked about it is you're putting your hands, if you will, kind of jumping jack style above your head. And you see this little kid laying on the ground and they're doing the, the bird flap. And then you go ahead and show them again what it should look like, but from a standing position and they're in a laying position. So their hands go in the same direction that yours do, but they do it multiple times, even with the direction. It, it's not something they can necessarily grasp. And so I think it's really critical that, you know, all of us take this learning from a two-year-old and say, how does it apply to my work? Many times in our work, we come up with a good idea we come up with something that we think is the next, you know, Facebook or big thing. And we fail to ask people about it. Why is it so important to learn the user experience? And as you said, step into someone's shoes uh, in, in our work when we're trying to design a, a program or a new product or a service. Uh, I mean, ultimately, like the best way that I would probably relate it to is it's like building a house, right? So the needs of the client to the person that you're building this house for, you can very much uh, relate that to the user experience of the product or the solution that, that they're using. If all of a sudden, you know, client came in and says, hey, I want a house. Well, cool. There's a billion different ways you could build a house. It could be a one bedroom, one bath without a kitchen. It could be a, you know, a massive million dollar mansion that, you know, some NFL star has. And so really when it comes to finding out what the person ready for what the person needs and what the person wants, you have to put yourself in their shoes. You have to understand how they're going to use it. What are their biggest pain points? What are things that, that they already know about? Like how many times do we use software like Netflix, YouTube, you know, where any of these common Facebook, even these softwares that in essence, train us on how to use software. And then all of a sudden you're building a product and you build it to where the workflow is completely different than every common, you know, piece of software out there that, that they're using. And although it might look beautiful, it's extremely confusing to the user, which makes it to where it's, it's frustrating. It's not working for them. And nobody wants to buy software, spend their, you know, their valuable money on something that doesn't work for them. Totally. And why is it that we in many different professional settings choose not to take that approach 
like the contractor. So I come in, I want a house. The contractor asks me a million questions about what do I like? What do I not like? Allows me to see different products, allows me to try different things. And we build this house uh, custom to make it so it really fits. But in a lot of the professional space or, you know, business owners, we have this idea and then we try to drive it forward without a lot of, you know, that feedback, whether it's observational data, it's analytics, et cetera. Why, why, why do you think we do that? What's, what's our biggest stumbling block? Yes, I, I think that that kind of has a lot of different things go into that. One, anytime you have a new product idea that comes to mind, it's something that you're super passionate about. You're way excited to get it to market. And you're like, oh my gosh, I know what people want. I know how people are going to use it. And sometimes you're even building a product that you yourself are going to use. But you got to realize that although you might use it, you might not be the person you're going to be selling it to. And so I don't think necessarily people do it on purpose. I, I think if you ask anybody that made the mistake of, you know, not necessarily understanding user experience fully before deploying, um, and I would even say before deploying, because even after deploying, you can make adjustments to match the needs of, of, of the customers. But if you're not willing to do that, like, I, I don't think people necessarily do that on, on purpose. I think what it is, is it's this misunderstanding, or um, I guess it would be the, the error on the side of the, the person that's building the product or building the solution that they know everything. And in reality, you don't know everything. There's, there's no way for you to know absolutely everything. And so I, I would definitely say it goes into, you know, the passion that, that you have behind it. It builds this urgency to get it live and to get it out there as quickly as possible. I would also say that it's like almost like a lack of empathy, right? Like you, you can't be empathetic towards a issue that one of your, you know, users in your target market might have. Um, you, you can't feel the pain that, that they feel. And so it's not something that's super impactful to you. And also, I think the last thing would be a really defined target market, right? Like if you put out a product and you're like, I can sell this to anybody and everybody, you're gonna have a real hard time coming up with an amazing user experience only because you're serving the masses. Everybody wants it to work a different way. Everyone needs it to work a different way. And so I, I think that really can, can be kind of a combination of a lot of different things. Oh, that's totally great. And it, it's story time. So I've got one from last night that was kind of funny or interesting. So going to put one of my daughters to bed and she's part of a computer coding club and I can see her at her desk and she's working on something. And she says, dad, come check this out. And I said, sure, what's going on? And she said, this is the shirt that I designed. And this is on a piece of paper. She's drawn it for the coding club. And I said, oh, that's awesome. Let me see it. And so I looked at it and the, the shirt that she drew is what I would say probably even in my own mind is a stereotypical little girl shirt. It was pink. It had multiple different hearts all over it. It had lace or frills around the edges of it. And I thought, wow, that's a great looking shirt. And then I asked myself, I wonder who her target market is. And I thought, okay, she said coding club. And so I thought this is a perfect opportunity to bring my workspace home. So I asked her, I said, who is this exactly for? And she repeated it was for coding club. And I said, are there people that everybody likes pink on the coding club? She said, no, probably not. And I said, now do those hearts have to do something with coding club? She said, no, probably not. And I said, so when you think about who you want to sell it to, if you want to win this shirt competition and have your shirt, the one that's printed, when you go to these competitions, is this the right thing? Or should you think a little bit more about that user or customer experience and what everybody might like? And she stopped right there. She wasn't offended. She wasn't bugged. She said, you're so right. 
She set that shirt to the side. She didn't throw it away. It was still a great looking shirt, but she started designing something with a different concept in mind. She went from looking at it from her vantage point, what she loves to what would be kind of more universal and get as many of the, you know, her peers and individuals and taking that, if you will, empathetic approach to what would everybody want that would represent us the best. And so that was a fun experience for me. And I loved her response was like, and she just changed and called that her minimum viable product or MVP or her, you know, <laughs> proto, prototype one. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, go to prototype two. You need something if different. Cause I don't know if I can, me personally, I can't do much lace on my, the, the sleeves of my shirt. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the, the interesting part about like user experience and, and the, the needs of, of the masses. So for example, in, in that scenario, like the only like challenging part is then all of a sudden you flip that on its head and you say, well, now wait a second. If everybody comes back in this t-shirt competition and comes back with this super ultra generic t-shirt, then there's no clear separation. And so like, that's what makes user experience so difficult and so hard for anybody to perfect. And I'm not even gonna say perfect, but to be good at, is because all of a sudden you, you combine an amazing user experience, but also separation and you know, being able to say that, that my product is better at X, Y, or Z, or it's different because of X, Y, or Z, and it makes it so much harder. And so I hope that like she was able to combine both, you know what I mean? Like this amazing shirt that everybody would like regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, regardless of age, um, but also some unique aspects that say, hey, I'm different because of X, you know, my, my past, because of my, my experiences, and this is who I am, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Totally. Because if you can, if you make it too generic, then it's just like everything else. But if you make it where it can, if you will, be generic, but also somehow speak to everyone or as many people as possible, you know, make it pop somehow, that can be pretty powerful. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. I had an experience the other day at work. We were, uh, we were doing some, if you will, kind of innovation, service redesign work. And we were saying, how can we deliver a specific service to our employees in a different way? And I'm going to be a little bit vague on the details. Sorry, everybody. But with this specific idea, we literally started out with kind of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And we drew what would a website look like that would do a certain, you know, process. And we got some good feedback on it. And so then we took it and we put it in a PowerPoint and we said, all right, let's, let's make this look a little bit more official in our kind of prototype 2.0. And we built it again. And then we uh, showed it to a number of individuals in our target audience and they totally hated it. And I went, Ooh, what, what, what's going on here? And I really had to take a step back and think about the user story and think about what would they like differently. And what happened was is giving myself enough time and the team enough time we were actually in a different workshop and there was an icon on one of the slides or one of the presentations that just spurred a thought. And so we went back and we changed the, the, not the content of what we were thinking about, but the branding and marketing around it. And we presented it to our target market again and literally huge reviews of success. This is exactly what we want. This would be perfect. What did you change? And it was, Hey, we changed the color. We changed some imagery. We changed the name of it. And how powerful is that? And so many times when we have, if you will, hiccups at home or at work, we automatically give up. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants it. And a number of good ideas die early because we're not willing to do small iterations. One of my favorite authors is Eric Reese. He does the Lean Startup. And he talks about build, measure, learn. And so you build something, 
you, you measure a little bit with the audience and then you learn about it and you, you incorporate it and you build again and you do this loop over and over again. I've seen that so many times at home, whether it's with that little shirt that my daughter was working on or whether it's at work with this product or idea that we had that we had to go back to the drawing board with. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, I definitely think that when it comes to user experience, product management, when it comes to being a father, a mother, or anything, like you have to go into it with the understanding of I'm going to be a better X. I'm going to be a better product manager. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better who knows what based on my, based on my, my experiences, even my failures, right? As a father, right? There's times where um, I'm great with my son and there's times where it's an amazing day. And then there's times where I'm not perfect. I come home, I'm stressed um, and I might get a little impatient. Um, and it's those failures that you have to reflect on and say, how can I do better next time? And make sure that, that you act on that next time. Oh, we all have those. I find myself, good day, good day, good day. Okay, that could have been a better day, right? So, and it happens sure. at work and at home. Speaking about home for just a minute, can you think of, or how have you seen your home life or your personal life benefit or impact the way that you approach work? Because sometimes we, we disconnect those two sides and to really bring our whole selves to work, to feel as much satisfaction as well as to make the biggest impact, we should be able to have those blend and have them influence one another. And so thinking about home to work, what does that look like for you? Have you seen it you know, positively impact you by bringing some of those things uh, to the workplace? For me, um, obviously, I only have two kids. I've got a two-year-old and a newborn, and so I don't have a lot of experience, but you always hear people when it comes to like drafting training or doing a presentation where they say, teach it as if you're talking to a child. Um, that's the most simplistic way to envision how simplistic you need to be in your training. And I never really understood that. As funny as that sounds, I never really understood why that is. I'm talking to a group of audience that I think has this basis of understanding. I should be able to come in with you know, an assumption that they know X and I can drive from there. But in reality, you don't know what their understanding is. And so for me, ever since now that I have a two-year-old and now that I experienced the snow angel failure, it's really put a, an amazing turn on things to where I say, okay, if I was talking to somebody, and then for example, our, our target market is, is that, that HR world, the people that, that, that are doing the hiring. Um, if I'm talking to somebody, there's, there's a chance that I'm talking to somebody that was amazing at what they did for the organization and was pulled in to do the hiring because of how talented they were before, but they don't have any official training. And so in reality, when I'm talking to them about using an, an integration, the marketplace, whatever it might be, I need to go into it, assume, I, I can't assume anything. I have to give it to them as simplistic as possible. I have to be very empathetic that they're extremely stressed with learning everything that it is with their daily job. And that is something that I really have grown to know and grown to love by trying to work with, with my, my two-year-old, whether it be his letters, you know, learning how to count, you know, learning colors, things like that. I, I really found a new appreciation for that since having and working with, with him. Now, there are two sides to every coin. We just talked about some great examples of kind of how do you bring your, your home mind or your connection to your kids to the way that you approach your work. But thinking about some of the, the work skills that you have, how do you bring those back to your family? 
Yeah, that that's a great question. My my poor wife, I had to hand her the microphone. I I I oftentimes find that what I end up doing with my team at Applicant Pro, I bring home. And what I mean by that is um, we're an agile team. We run structured sprints. We do our sprint planning meetings. We do prioritization meetings. Um, and basically what those are is just meetings where you come together as a group to fully understand what work needs to be done and then setting the, I guess, the, the threshold of here's how much we can do and then making sure what you fit into that category meets the needs of whatever it is that, that, that you're going after. Um, obviously, everybody has massive to-do lists, and so you're never going to be able to get everything done right away. But you can say, these are the things that are most important or impactful now that I can work on, and I can jump on something else later on when, when more time opens up. And what actually is funny about that is my wife and I, we just moved up here. And obviously, when you just move, there's a ton of different things on your mind, like finishing your backyard, putting in a fence, finishing your basement. You know, who knows what it is? Just a lot of things on your to-do list. And I found that we had a really hard time balancing the needs and it almost built this like anxiety, right? Everybody knows that that feeling of, oh my gosh, my to-do list is so big, nothing's falling off, so you feel super anxious. And so what, what we decided to do was our to-do list is almost like a scrum board, if you will. It's a, it's a Kanban board. We, we defined what's, what's priority, what needs to be worked on now, and we put those up. And then we also uh, defined what we know about, what we know needs to be done, but we also know that it's not urgent. It does not need to be done right now. And that was super liberating for us, right? We took something that we do in the product world and the technical world, we brought it home and we, we set the, the, the threshold. This is what we're going to do this month and we're going to commit to getting this done. We know that these other things need to be done and now we actually have a place to put them. So as you're walking down the hall and you're like, oh crap, I need to do this. You can put it on a sticky note, throw it up against the wall, you know, whatever it is you need to do. And then all of a sudden you can let that leave your mind. You can give yourself peace of mind knowing I'm not going to forget about this, but I know that, that it's not important that it needs to disrupt what's going on. I think that's probably the best example. And my poor wife that had to sit through that, but it was super cool to kind of take that experience from the product world, bring it home to our, you know, personal to-do list and even like goal setting and see that it works in both worlds. How did she like it? That's my question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think it's definitely weird, right? Like when you're arguing priorities with, with a team, you have like four or five people that you're talking with. So like you can challenge a priority and it doesn't seem like direct and offensive, but like when you're working with your spouse and all of a sudden, Hey, this is priority number one. And they jump in. Ah, no, that's not priority number one. And all of a sudden it's like, okay. So it definitely required some minor tweaks and adjustments, <laughs> but in reality that the whole structure is the, the same. So I, I think she liked it. It's something that we just started with our goals and initiatives for 2020. So it'll, it'll be interesting to measure over time to see how it impacts our, uh, whether we're successful or not. But I think so far it's going good. No, that's awesome. And for those that aren't aware of what a scrum board or a Kanban board is, I'll give you a little bit of a visualization. So think of a, a whiteboard and you can have, if you will, titles along the top. So you might have a title that is kind of customer story or your story. And then you have a backlog of things that we need to do. And then you have your to-do list and working and done. And what you could do is simply buy a pack of sticky notes and write down kind of these major objectives, these stories, if you will. I want to do X. I want to finish my fence. I want to do Y, which might be, I want to lead this project at work. You know, personal, professional, doesn't matter. And then you can put in that backlog, all the different sticky notes of the small items that you know, make up the different elements to be successful. 
And then the ones that are the most valuable or the most important stories, move those to the very top so that they're your focus. And as you start to move these sticky notes over into the you know, working and then done, you'll see that item go off of your list and you can move through that process pretty quickly. I'm a huge fan of it. I've done it at work multiple times. I've never done it at home. So I'm going to commit to trying that with my wife. We'll see if she buys into it. Uh, sometimes she thinks my, uh, you know, people strategy and kind of lean and agile stuff is uh, for the workplace. But, uh, you know, I'm crossing my finger, fingers, Blake. So, okay. you know, for a great tool for, for those of you that, that want to give it a try, um, there, there's a tool called Trello. It's free to use. You could jump on there. It's on your phone. It's on your desktop. You can set up a board in, in minutes. Um, and if you don't want to go with the hard sticky note route, I prefer the, the, the sticky note route, but it is a, a great tool for you to look at if this is something you want to give a try. No, that's a perfect share. And speaking to that, tools and resources, we'll list that in the show notes. But also, I wanted to ask Blake, what are a couple of books or resources that people could look up and read on their own time to continue to learn about this kind of, if you will, agile and lean and, you know, different methodologies that they can apply at work or at home? Yes, I would say the two most beneficial books that I've read here just recently uh, is Sprint by Jake Knapp. He is with Google, actually, and that goes through the, the whole sprint cycle. And for those of you that, that aren't familiar with that, um, it's just talking about getting something started and getting it to an MVP, a minimal viable product, as, as quickly as possible. And the structure that he talks about and how fast that he can expedite the, the build, you know, bringing the whole team together, designers, everybody, it really could be correlated to anything and de deciding what's most important and then breaking down what needs to be done and jumping all the way through to prototyping, you know, making sure that it works, whether that's through user acceptance testing or your own testing uh, and then, then deploying. Um, it's super interesting. He was showing that they could go from a, a concept, an idea to an actual testable product within one week, which is crazy to, to think about. So that one's awesome. Another one is the, the mom test. I believe that's by Rob Fitzpatrick. Yeah, um, I love the mom test. Yes, that one's one of my favorite when it comes to like how to ask the right question. For me, I think that one's the best in terms of how to correlate that to business and at home. We don't want to ask questions that have biased answers that we're looking for a biased answer. We want to ask questions where we're getting to understand the, the real problem. And so the mom test is all about, uh, you know, your mom loves you more than anybody else in this world. And so when you ask her a question, she's going to do anything she can to support you. Hey, mom, I have this crazy idea where I want to send people to Mars. And she'll be like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Go build it. Only because she, she supports you. But in reality, if you just flip that around, hey, mom, would you ever be interested in flying to Mars? She'd be like, uh, no. And so that's the, the real kind of interesting book that, that I really, really loved in terms of like understanding your users, understanding, you know, the, what user experience your, your users are going after. But in reality, you could correlate that too to what are the problems that, that your children are facing, that, that your spouse is facing? How can you ask them powerful questions that allow you to understand the problem that they're experiencing to really help them find a solution for it? without adding any biased response or even offending them. So I think that book is, is amazing. Blake, thanks so much for sharing your time, your stories, and your experiences with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for joining us today. And we hope you took away some good nuggets that you can apply both professionally and personally. If you've enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, share with a friend, Sign up for our mailing list and we'll see you again soon. Until next time, from the Working Parents Wilderness Podcast. <laughs>